with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, Prince George. I am happy to be back in studio here, and today I have uh, an out-of-town guest. Uh, I'm very pleased to have him, Mayor Owen Torgensen of Valemont. Welcome. Oh, good morning, Trudy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so what's the weather like in Valemont this morning? A uh, slight overcast, low cloud. All right. Okay. So what's um, so? Um, how much time have you got today for us? Uh, as long as you need, Trudy. Okay. All right. I have got uh, someone else coming in at nine thirty, so we'll we'll go to them. Um, the reason that I'd I'd asked you to come and talk to us was because at the gosh, one of the uh, local elected government official seminar. Yes, at the elected official seminar. Uh, it was announced that Valemount was in the running for a Strongstown award of some sort. And my ears perked up because I have been a long-time listener of Strongtowns. And so I actually checked it out because it's like, that Strongtowns? Because, I mean, my impression was that's an American company. But maybe um, tell us, uh, let's see, how should we do this? Let's tell me a little bit about... Um, about this contest that you were part in and that you were asking people to vote in, and how did you get involved in that? Sure. So, um, as you as you know, as a follower of the Strong Town Movement, um, this is a is a not for profit organization uh, that really focuses on promoting you know sustainable and resilient communities throughout various initiatives and and a lot of their educational efforts and and um, podcasts. Uh, they're really known for their emphasis on, you know, responsible urban planning, uh, local de- development, and yep. uh, building just a stronger community. Yes. And for the eighth year running, uh, they've been uh, having their strongest town contest. Um, it's competition organized uh, to highlight and recognize the towns and cities that demonstrate strong principles of sound urban planning. You know, economic, steady economic growth, not you know, boom and bust as well as just, you know, responsible community development. And and the contest really invites communities to submit their stories and projects that showcase how they're working towards, not those that have really made it, but those that are working towards building a stronger and more resilient town. That is actually a really good explanation in a very good nutshell. And I and I had somehow I had missed the strongest town contest. Uh, portion of, but that's exactly, I was just listening to, uh, I think it was their latest podcast yesterday, and they were talking about that the movement started because so many cities across North America are functionally bankrupt. And Yeah, I mean, be- we, you, you've seen that in, in Planet, in planning, uh, just sort of shortly following World War II, Trudy, where, uh, the, they, they, they broke away from the sort of intimate and cozy neighborhoods and, and really exploded into a, a suburbanization and, and, and really centered uh, cities around cars rather than humans. Yes, and, and, and if I can digress a little bit to Prince George before we'll circle back to Valemount. Prince George is in this uniquely horrible situation um, because I think it's particularly terrible for us. We have a, a population of 80,000 people living in a city that was built. The infrastructure in the ground, the roads and everything was built for 200,000. So we're trying to sustain our city infrastructure 
that was built for 200000 and only 80,000 people to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the sprawl that Prince George, Calgary, uh, those kind of centers, uh, I think, what, what is your density, about 200 and, 203 or 213 people per square kilometer? Mm-hmm. Um, we're the same. You know, uh, we're, we're not we're not perfect either, but we're also... 5.17 square kilometers. <laughs> yes. Well, and that brings brings us back to Valemount. So, um, before let I'll just before we get back to the Strong Towns contest, you had um, I had driven past Valemount oh probably like 20 years ago, and then you'll have to stop in. Uh, well, wait a minute, and then <laughs> and so we you know it was always just a spot that we drove by, and and then and I never saw anything like well that was like like I said 20 years ago. And then uh, 2020, when we were still allowed to do stuff during the pandemic and go camping, we went uh, for a family camp out in Valemount. And when we turned the turn from the highway into the downtown, that downtown street, I was stunned because it was like, wow, this is beautiful. Thank you. And I was like, what have they done? And so it was no surprise to, to me to hear... Um, at at this convention that oh you guys are part of strong town so it was like so how did you um how did you guys like so tell me a little bit about the process and what what made you think that you were maybe eligible for the strong towns uh award of strongest town well first of all it's it's super easy to nominate oneself okay uh <laughs> so uh it's a uh, Cities or towns uh, nominate themselves uh, into the contest. There's, uh, they break it down uh, through their their staff uh, team uh, to the. And they kind of use the same sort of wording around the um, NCAA uh, tournaments. So uh, they have more than sixteen uh, nominations. Their staff team break it down into the Sweet Sixteen. So we made it into the top sixteen. And then it went out to public voting. Um, right, and that's so we, we did. We did a massive, well, massive in, in terms of a, a town of a thousand. Yes, we did a massive social media push, uh, uh, standard media push, um, using all all channels at our disposal. Right. Uh, of course, at the elected official seminar uh, put on by the local government uh, leadership academy, um, we were able to reach, you know, three hundred uh, of our. Uh, colleagues around the north uh and if one of those touched one other person uh you know it just it just uh, skyrocketed from there and so, uh, so, at that, so appreciative yes but at that moment it's just sort of like a po- popularity contest so whoever can get the most people but i mean what made you what made you able to qualify was it was it simply the numbers and 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 entering the contest or how did you get shortlisted well, I, well, we haven't been able to get the uh, the metrics from Strong Towns right. of how or why. Yeah. But uh, from my standpoint, when I encouraged council to even consider um, entering into this bit of a contest, um, we we had a bunch of checkbox that I thought that we we met mm-hmm. uh, from from Strong Town principles, and that's you know incremental development, walkable neighborhoods. Uh, mixed land uses. We had just gone through in 2021, um, well, the height of the pandemic. Uh, we completely rewrote our official community plan, ah. and so we we really used the Strong Town 
principles uh, and work those into our OCP. So did you just do this on your own? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so we, just... and we, we, we teamed up. We teamed up. We had partners in this. So um, Tourism Valmount, uh, which is now a standalone uh, destination management organization, was a committee of council, but they've they've grown into a into a, an organization that needs to have a little bit more flexibility than a local government can give them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we teamed up with their executive director, uh, our CAO's team, uh, really uh, went to bat for us. Um, Varda, uh, the Vail Mountain Area Recreation Development Association, uh, contributed to our Strong Town application, and so so when really. You- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so when you're talking about incremental development and, and walkable downtown and what was the other thing? Uh, mixed land. Mixed-use planning. Okay, so can we talk a little bit about incremental development? What are some of the things that you did? Like, So what I experienced when we turned our vehicle uh, towards your main street for downtown, like it was just so beautiful. So uh, when you're talking incremental development, um, what what was that? What are you talking about? What, okay, what are some so of the things you, you did as a city? You, we wanted to really encourage small-scale uh, development that allows the community to to grow at a slow and steady pace, so infrastructure can can keep up. Mm-hmm. And, and as you know, infrastructure is very expensive, and yes. it's getting more expensive. I mean, we're doing a a couple of lift stations right now that we thought three point five million might cover, and it's like into the 6.4, 6.5 Oh, my million. goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so when you're doing projects like that, Trudy, you really want to promote infill development and encouraging, you know, and the reuse of existing buildings and really supporting your local entrepreneurs. Hmm. You know, so working, working with your chamber of commerce, working with your tourism operators, you know, getting their feedback um, throughout our OCP uh, process was integral. So, so what are um, what are some of the actual uh, so that when you're talking mixed use, what are, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like because there are some people who are saying so. Uh, like I'm not quite sure where. So where do you? I mean, I I know that you're a small town, but I mean mixed use in your small town. What are some of the things that you looked at? So uh, one of the things that really um, made sense was to have both commercial and residential in the same lot. Commercial and um, residential in this, yes. Yeah. So having having your commercial space out front or down below with some residential up top or in the back mm-hmm. uh, or the side or wherever. We wanted to make sure that people um, could live where they work and and walk to work if that's not where they work. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no need to have, um, you know, a push towards the ignition in your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've got... Uh, two feet or a set of wheels that can uh, can get you to wherever you need to go and them out. So we really wanted to encourage that really that infill and mixed use. So how has that worked out for you? It's, it's worked out well. Um, talking to uh, various businesses, uh, those that are looking to expand. So we had during the pandemic, we had five businesses open or expand during uh, those years. Wow. And out of all of, out of those five, four are looking to, four, or two, sorry, four either have uh, residences uh, connected to the business mm-hmm. or are looking to build 
um, housing for their business, for their staff. And so, um, because often when people are living in small towns, we have this idea that, you know, they want to live out in the boonies, but um, mm-hmm. not necessarily, right? They they want to, I mean, Valemount has so many um, uh, recreational opportunities that people that will attract people, but that doesn't mean that you that you want to live on five acres yourself and take care of all the landscaping and and work that is required. And so, to live in town close to work, I can see that that would be an appeal because it means you have more time for recreation, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and if you look at rural infrastructure in terms of um, septic and water wells, I don't. Of course, uh, a, a local government official should never quote uh, a dollar figure unless he's got it right there in front of him. <laughs> I'm going to jump off a cliff here. All right. Uh, so in order to connect to sewer and water here in Belmont is around the $2,500, $3,000 mark. Uh-huh. If you wanted to build on that nice, beautiful five-acre lot with water and septage, you're looking anywhere around $70,000 mm-hmm. to drill a well to a suitable um, depth for quality and for septage it has to be um, designed and installed by a qualified wastewater practitioner right so so in this in this segues nicely into the fact that Valemount has built an incredible amount of tourism that is actually a little bit on the map yeah, so we yeah, literally on the map. Uh, back in 2003-ish, um, we had a bit of a downturn in the fourth sector. We saw, these, saw the end of the, the end of the tunnel. There was still some light there, uh, but in terms of uh, dimensional uh, lumber, yeah. we were starting to see the end. And uh, a group uh, was formed, and they in turn. Uh, looked at a sustainable development sustainable development management plan and uh, really harnessed the power of tourism. And so while our, in 2007, uh, we formed a municipal corporation uh, under the Community Force uh, Association. And while we still do uh, forestry, we are really quite known for both snowmobiling and more recently, uh, mountain biking. Yes, and and just I just thought of about clarifying something here. When we're talking, uh, and back to your original description of what strong towns, uh, like that movement, what that is about. When we're talking sustainability, we're talking about the ability of cities to have reasonable taxation while providing the services that residents want or need and need. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you you want to support your local businesses and the economy to strengthen your resi- your resilience to economic shocks. That's right. And so if if you if you can if you are living in a predictable environment um, in a suitable location that's super easy. Yeah. Yeah. So just back to the tourism opportunities. So yeah. and you but okay so you have a community forest which which has its own benefits for Valemount. Um and snowmobiling that's something that we've done. Um no I've never done gone to Valemount. I've gone to McBride. But um can you talk a little bit about the snowmobiling and then and then we'll talk about the mountain biking. <coughs> sure. 
So we did a uh, ActDev study on the economic, socio-economic impacts of snowmobiling in the Belmont area, mm-hmm. and we used uh, the 2017 season as a as a baseline, not a baseline, but that's what we we used those numbers, and uh, it was about an average year, user year, at around 17,000 user days in four months, and uh, we found that snowmobiling contributes $6.4 million annually to the local economy. Wow. <laughs> That's it's, incredible. It's stunning. It's stunning. See, and okay, um, okay, let me, $6.4 million, and what is your budget, your city budget? Our city, <laughs> our, uh, our city budget is dwarfed uh, by uh, that number. Our city budget is around $3 million. Okay, and 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 we're, and and to your, be fair, your, when we're your talking snow removal budget is three times more than our <laughs> entire budget. Yes. Okay, your budget three point. You said two. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and when we're talking the six point four million that of snowmobiling revenue, that's like hotels, restaurants. You got her. Uh, yeah. Supplies. Um, short-term vacation rentals, B and B's, supplies, um, coffees, yeah, beers. Yeah, all of that. Do you, do you have any service industries for the snowmobile um, mark uh, tourism there? Yeah, we have we have a small engines and uh, and rental um, business, uh, Alpine Country Rentals. They also do uh, backcountry tours. Uh, we have a, a more recent startup, uh, Frozen Pirates, uh, does uh, backcountry safety um, instruction, uh, avalanche uh, accreditation, and forecasting. Oh, well, that's interesting. Is that uh, something that's taken up by by the snowmobiling community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're really seeing a paradigm shift from the 80s and 90s of, pardon my French, balls to the walls, throttle, yep. full on, uh, to a more reserved, safety-oriented backcountry. Well, user. and certainly helped out by the by the by the tragedies that we see so many winters it is it is time for a break oh and we'll be back and we'll we'll continue talking about uh, we'll pick up on uh, on the mountain biking yeah let's do it all right back after these messages find out what's happening in and around prince george for the latest community events and happenings tune in to after nine weekday mornings at nine o'clock on 93.1 cfis fm your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9, weekday mornings at 9 o'clock, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you missed the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10. Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics? Yes. Cheesecake, carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs. Do these specialty baked goods taste good? People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners? Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec. God knows everything about you. This week on the Lutheran Hour, Pastor Ken Klaus says that truth can either be a comfort or a curse. But the God who knows everything about you is also the God of grace who forgives on account of Christ. Knowing the God who knows all about you. This week on the Lutheran Hour. Be listening for the Lutheran Hour Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, winds in the southwest at 20, a high of 21 with a high UV index. Tonight, increasing cloudiness with southwest winds becoming light and a low of 10. For Friday, cloudy with a 30% chance of showers in the afternoon and winds becoming southwest 20, a high of 21. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back talking with Owen Torgensen, mayor of Vailmount, and uh, we just finished talking about the incredible numbers uh, of that the snowmobiling tourism brings to Vailmount, and and how that, and just interesting to me how that community has transitioned, the snowmobiling community has transitioned much more to a safety mindset, and that that has actually spawned a business that you've got there that that gives that uh, safety training. Um, so, okay, so let's go now to the mountain biking, because this is something that gets talked. I, I know that we went, we actually, when we were in Vailmount there, we, we had a few young people that went down your hill. So tell me a little bit about that project. So it was really spearheaded by basically a 12 year old, uh, poaching on crown land. Of course. Uh, looking for, uh, <laughs> ways to get better in something that he really loved. And, uh, it was, you know, fast forward, you know, half a dozen years later, uh, the, uh, Yellowhead Outdoor Recreation Association, uh, by to, uh, through rec sites and trails to establish a lawful, <laughs> uh, trail system on what we call five mile. Uh, it's, it's within the swift drainage, uh, swift creek drainage. And, uh, when it got to a point where uh, a group of volunteers outside of their capacity, uh, the Vailmount and Area, uh, Vailmount and Area Recreation uh, Development Association uh, took it over. And uh, they have a, a, a couple, they have a paid person. Uh, hello? Yeah, yeah, we still oh, got you. Sorry. Uh, uh, Mr. Curtis Polyuk. And uh, through various grants, and uh, know-how and board support from their from their board, uh, it has really skyrocketed into a world-class uh, destination mountain bike park. So that that's just interesting. So I mean, so <laughs> I, I love the fact that it started with a twelve-year-old who just wanted to get better at mountain biking, and then it has segued into this massive. Uh, massive project. I mean, you're going through uh, cup locks and like former cup locks, and uh, and it it's just incredible. And do you guys have a? Is there someone providing a shuttle system there, or? It was one of the one of the uh, businesses that expanded during a pandemic. Hmm. Um, you know, it was you had to be, and of course, mountain biking was a, was a, just like snowmobiling was. Um, a safe uh, activity to do yes. uh, during a global pandemic. Um, unfortunately, the, the peak did have a step uh, because of the you know the six foot rules. Um, but they've really exploded into uh, one from one um, van carrying uh, towing a trailer of fifteen bikes. Uh, they now have uh, three vans trailers. And, and now uh, even a, um, a four-seater or six-seater side-by-side that they do uh, uh, bike shuttling. 
Wow. Specifically, specifically for that mountain bike park. And so have you got any numbers about how much tourism that's bringing to, to Vailmount? Not yet, but I'm encouraging all of our partners uh, uh, to undergo a, a socioeconomic impact study of mountain biking in the Vailmount area. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have some data. Uh, we, we put in uh, VARTA, not we. Uh, I'll just use we because we're one sure. big team here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we put in some trail counters on six of the 50-plus trails that are in that system. And uh, they went through a local electronics um, uh, manufacturer and at between May long weekend and middle of July, uh, we replaced those counters at 19,389 user days. Wow. And uh, we replaced them with a more uh, commercialized, uh, higher uh, memory count. And by the middle of October, uh, those trail counters hit 100,000 user days. For the summer? For, for the summer. And when you and say so 100,000 user that means... Uh, the last couple of years, we've been averaging 70,000 user days. And, okay, so what does user day mean? A user day is every time one of those trail counters is activated, Yeah, uh, we, we call that a user day. Okay. So it might be uh, myself doing two laps, that's two user days. Okay. It could be somebody that's uh, much better shape than I am doing <laughs> 20 laps. Okay. Uh, and so, but the, the really impressive thing there is the escalation of users. And it, we really have to contribute it to um, good uh, trail building standards and funding partners like the Valmont Community Forest, like Tourism Valmont, uh, that contribute to trail maintenance. I can build you whatever you want. Hmm. It's the maintenance that really makes the difference uh, for any any sort of infrastructure, let alone um, trail systems that are pounded on by a massive following of mountain bikers. Hmm. Uh, and so this year, not only did we have our Spring Bike Fest, uh, we also had our first uh, Canadian Enduro League uh, stop on their circuit. Uh, so we were really happy to have um, really professionals uh, come in uh, for uh, an enduro race. So uh, biking, uh, no shuttles in this race, so biking up, uh, clocking down, biking up, clocking down. Uh, I think they had five stages in that one race. Wow. Uh, that lasted, uh, they started at around quarter after 7, 7.30, uh, with the you know the fastest times coming in at like noon, quarter afternoon, hmm. so pure biking for four and a half five hours. Wow! Uh, to to clock in at uh, your down uh, times, and I think the the winning time was seventeen minutes. Hmm. So just imagine going up. So uh, yeah, that's that's amazing. So and and this it brings. Like the fact that you had that uh, that Canada wide race there, and then this brings to mind there's a bit of a, of a mountain biking circus circuit developing, uh, with Vailmount being one of the stops on it, and I think um, Burns Lake, and I and I know that Paderni is here in Prince George is certainly trying to yeah. get on that. Also, uh, Tabor Mountain is really taking off. Oh. 
uh, McBride uh, at a bit of slower pace, but uh, their trail systems really come together. Um, further south, we, you, you have Blue River, uh, Clearwater's getting into the game. Mm. Uh, Chuchua, uh with First Nation has a has a pretty cool trail system. And then Mackenzie, course, uh, I think, just announced a shuttle, right? You betcha. We uh, we were there uh, last week. Uh, Varda uh, sent up uh, our truck and a bike trail carrying trailer uh, to help them with their own. Yeah. Well, that is pretty exciting, and uh, I just we're we're coming to the end here. So, thank you very much for for taking time to uh, to talk to the residents of Prince George and and to talk about uh, uh, strong towns. Certainly, because I think that's an important direction for us to consider going. It just because we want to have thriving villages and towns and and cities. And uh, thanks for sort of leading the charge on that. Good for you. Thank you. Well, thanks, Trudy. Thanks for having me, and I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Well, you have a very good day, and we'll be back after these messages with Colleen Van Mook, and I think Darren Rigo is going to be joining us. This year's regional outreach exhibition from Two Rivers Gallery is Aaron Stagg's Otopamisawa, The People Who Own Themselves. The Belmont Museum will host the exhibition from August 16th to September 22nd, followed by the McBride Valley Museum and Archives October 17th to November 17th. Stop by if you're in the area for a look at this unique Aboriginal series, Opatipamizwak, The People Who Own Themselves on through the end of July at the Mackenzie Community Arts Centre. North Edge Ice Sports has moved. You can now find all your recreational and competitive figure skating skates and accessories at Quebec and 3rd. While there, purchase roller skates or inline skates so you can skate all year round. Stop by and check out the assortment of outfits and accessories as you get ready for the coming season. Open from 10 to 5, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, 9 to 2, Saturday. North Edge Ice Sports in the Q3 building, Kitty Corner, to the Farmer's Market at Quebec and 3rd. Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics? Yes! Cheesecake, carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs. Do these specialty baked goods taste good? People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners? Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec. If you're totally out of shape, Trainer Kim's has a new fitness class just for you. Created for anyone new or returning to fitness after an extended period, Fitness 101 features slow-paced workouts allowing for proper instruction and form. Breaks are given for recovery and all exercises can be modified to meet every ability. If you are ready to take this first step towards a stronger, healthier body, Contact Trainer Kim today by emailing trainer underscore Kim at hotmail.com. It's after nine on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS FM. All right, we're back. I have Colleen Van, Ma- Van Mook from uh, downtown PG here, and we're just sort of going to talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, the Mayor of Vailmont talked about and uh, Colleen, actually, uh, when I was uh, chatting with her yesterday, uh, she hadn't heard of Strong Towns. Not in detail. I, yeah. I think that um, I, I had heard of the concept, and so when you talked to me about it, I thought, well, I'll look into it a little yep. bit. And uh, some of the ideas definitely resonate in terms of uh, you know local conversations and, and um, 
groups of people working together to advocate for things that they want in their community. That's kind of the sense yeah. that I got. It was really a movement about encouraging people to to have conversations. It makes me think a while back when the city of Prince George did a MyPG it was the sustainability plan, but they had like kitchen table conversations, right? So it's kind of sounds to me like a little grassroots level, but really working with the community mm-hmm. on the strengths and the and the opportunities. Yeah, and you're uh, I think just from my knowledge of strong towns, you're sort of talking about the the way to get and to make it work. Uh, this idea of of making a sustainable city in the sense that and and again I know that. Uh, you know, people go, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? Is that sustainability with an S? It's like a capital S. It's like, no, this is not a brand of, say, sustainability. This is making your city so that it works for the people that live there without having to continually raising ta- raise taxes because you're getting enough revenue to supply what you need. And part of how you do that is you you build a thriving community where you're having people meet. And you were just saying before the, before you came on the air is that we used to have many more community associations and, but now we've amalgamated them into six or seven for the city. Yeah. It just made me think a little bit about, um, I came to this community 30 plus years ago, uh, from the lower mainland. And I actually came to this community sight unseen. I was interested in the position offered to me with the city at the time. And what I didn't realize is that so much of the the recreation, culture, and sport delivery in our community was really grassroots. It yes. really was working through uh, nonprofit sport organizations, nonprofit arts and culture, and then we had these twenty two community associations that were really um, formed around neighborhoods and the the schools. And I, I wasn't familiar with that, but what I found was that it was really unique because you were able to work with those neighborhoods. And like I say, it was a lot about uh, recreation and culture. But what you found was those neighborhoods also advocated for certain things that, that they wanted or didn't want yes. in, in their neighborhoods. So those kind of conversations were happening. Um, and I think sometimes what what does happen in the community, it's, it's, it's a lot to, to manage all those conversations and all those needs. But it was really about facilitating those um, strong opinions, and there was a lot of um, great, I would just say, engagement, I that guess. That came out of it. Yeah. Well, and that's something that often comes up when we're talking, like when we're talking about the people that are unhoused or homeless living on the streets. Uh, I mean, if you step back at looking at it, it's like, to me, it seems like a symptom of our society breaking down, our civil society, and that idea of being involved, being part of a greater piece, and those community associations, I mean, even the ones that are still there, they provide a, an avenue to work together with your neighbors. And that's so important. Yes, and of course, you know, I, I do work for the Downtown Prince George Business Improvement Association. I'm the executive director. And I see downtown as a neighborhood as well. Yes. And I think sometimes we forget because what I... I heard the mayor of Elmont saying he talked about uh, intermittent neighborhoods and that we've really suburbanized our communities. But, you know, that that downtown concept where we've talked about it being the heart of most of our communities, we, we've lost that a little bit. Um, and I feel that it's an important neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It is very diverse in terms of who's part of this neighborhood. It's yep. business. 
It's it's nonprofits. It's um, people who are living here, no matter what kind of what housing they're they're, yeah. they're living in. And we're we're starting to see some diversity in terms of that. But we also need more opportunity to to listen to to the people that make up this neighborhood because mm-hmm. it is so diverse. Yeah, and it's it's one of those cases where. Um, you know, you can you can plan as a city, but at at the end of the day, it actually has to work. And that's the idea that I hear a lot expressed on Strong Towns is the well, and also Happy Cities. I had uh, that fellow, uh, uh, one of their people, in to talk as well. And incremental design, where you, incremental responsive design, where you 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 don't develop these grand projects necessarily. And I mean, sometimes you have to simply because of what you're doing, right? But but it is best when you're trying to create community and neighborliness, you, you build on what's already there. Yes. And we have, you know, again, the other, when you introduced me to the strong towns, I listened to a little bit and there was, you know, conversations about the, the effects of big box stores yes. on, on, on local, local business and, and those kinds of things. And I think we definitely see that. And what downtown Prince George has a uniqueness about is that we, we do support many local entrepreneurs and there's very unique businesses in our downtown and restaurants. And we're, you know, we're trying very hard to remind people about that, that this is an opportunity for us to not only support local. I mean, I think that's a good concept. We want to support local, but we have, we don't, we shouldn't be forced to support local. We should want to because of the great entrepreneurship that exists. Well, and Okay, so and uh, now that you mentioned the big box stores, um, and 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 Amazon now is a is a player as well, and the loss of Northern Hardware. Somebody was just reminding me again that you know when Northern Hardware closed, and for some people, some of our listeners might not even remember if 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 they haven't been in town that long, but um, the loss of some of those some of those stores downtowns. Is, is attributed to the fact that we have big box stores and, and are we properly understanding the impact of that? Do you, do you think that that's something like, are you seeing a shift at all? Uh, do you think people are beginning to see the value of, you know what, it, maybe it's a better idea if I go to the store and buy the thing that I want instead of just ordering it from Amazon or going to, uh, are, do you think pe- is, you know, is, again, my mother always says it takes all kinds to make a world. And I, th- I think that still there's people who, who do like the convenience of shopping online. But the other thing about shopping and going to restaurants yes. um, is the experience. Yes. And, you know, that's really what uh, us um, as a community want to promote, mm-hmm. that we are offering our residents different experiences when they go to these many different restaurants and to these local businesses. There's still going to be people that want the convenience of yep. of being online, but there's a lot of people who really want to be able to enjoy the unique experience that these local businesses bring to our community. So we want to remind people about that as well. And, and, uh, and we, you know, there's a lot of different um, opportunities in our community, and I don't think we would... We want some of those big box stores. We want to have an opportunity to uh, be able to uh, get the products that we need, but we want to kind of share the wealth a little bit. Yes, we do, and and I think one thing that part of part of, and this is where, where where it's so important the work that you do in order to make downtown appealing and attractive is so that people want to come here for the experience. 
Darren Rigo has just joined us. Darren, welcome. Um, and did you hear any part of the conversation that I had with Owen? I listened to a bit of it this morning and then the drive-in as well. Okay. All right. I am being reminded that it is time for break. So we'll be back and we'll, we'll begin with Darren Rigo after these messages. The city of Prince George shares ongoing community concerns relating to the encampment at Millennium Park and continues to closely monitor the property. The city, RCMP and fire department have communicated to the province that the encampment is a serious health and safety concern which must be addressed on an urgent basis. Once available sheltering options for individuals presently at Millennium Park have been identified, Council will consider the city's next steps to address the property. The College of New Caledonia is the place to go in Prince George for professional development courses, medical terminology, computer essentials for the workplace, and internet essentials for the workplace are among the courses being offered this fall through CNC's continuing education. Registration can fill up fast, so don't delay. Register today for the training you need to stay competitive in the workforce. Full details are available through the continuing education link under Programs and Courses at cnc.bc.ca. The Exploration Place is home to a new exhibit, World War Women, on through September 3rd. Developed by the Canadian War Museum, this special exhibition highlights the contributions of Canadian women in both world wars. Divided into four thematic zones, World War Women uses artifacts, images, audiovisuals, and archival materials to delve in the personal stories of Canadian women during World War I and II. World War Women, on through September 3rd at the Exploration Place, making history together. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, winds in the southwest at 20, a high of 21 with a high UV index. Tonight, increasing cloudiness with southwest winds becoming light and a low of 10. For Friday, cloudy with a 30% chance of showers in the afternoon and wind becoming southwest 20, a high of 21. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with uh, Darren Rigo finishing up our hour. Uh, Colleen Van Mook had uh, things that she needed to do, so we're finishing this up with Darren. Uh, Darren is the founder of Drigo Media. Is, am, right. I, am I saying that right? D-Rigo Media, but yeah. D-Rigo Media. And what is it that you do? I'm just a local videographer, photographer, and relevant to this, I'd say like an armchair urban planner slash very good, just lover of all things urban planning and downtown design. Well, and I think somebody that is artistic and and taking and somebody who takes photos a lot and does shoots videos, you have an eye for beauty. And I one interesting thing that I found out is that the things that we think are beautiful are things that actually fulfill other needs than just and and uh, and there's other purposes that are met. Yeah. by wanting to make things beautiful. Yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of like ways that design reflects things in nature that are beauty beautiful. I think, you know, for for myself and the work I do, like we're what some of our biggest clients are, you know, the city or tourism Prince George. And so we're often tasked with filming downtown in a way that makes it look look attractive or um an appealing place to go. And so yeah, like we spend a lot of time thinking about what those spots are downtown, how to shoot them and you know, often longing for a bit more, you know, like a little bit more buzz, a little bit more um, desirability in our downtown. So what are some of the things uh, and just uh, what are some of the things that you think that Prince George could fairly easily do that would maybe incorporate some of those ideas and in, in, in order to make our downtown, I mean, particularly to make it more appealing? 
It's, yeah, I was listening to the conversation on the drive in and I think Colleen did a really good job of being very practical. And I think that's a good place to start or like, what are some easy wins? We saw during COVID the city really loosened up its um, restrictions around like patios. Yes. So just allowing businesses that want patios, like get rid of as much red tape, fees, permitting, all of that as possible. I was in Jasper last weekend and uh, they've done this really cool thing where they, so they don't actually put the patios on the street. They put the patios on the sidewalk and they've made these prefabricated boardwalks that go around the patio. So that way, the pat the like the restaurant patio is right up against the restaurant storefront, oh, okay. and the pedestrians just walk around that. So rather than put that that patio and seating area in the parking spaces, the pedestrians have like a little wooden boardwalk with railings that they just go around that part of the sidewalk. Okay, so that answers the accessibility issues totally. that people in uh, you know having trouble getting around. It's a beautiful solution, and the those little walk arounds were all prefabricated. They were the same size, so I'm I'm imagining there's a company that just you know, made a couple hmm. 20 or 30 of them. And once a, once a business applies to have that patio, they just get one of those prefabricated huh. walkarounds. So what's the, what's the benefit? I mean, I guess that you're not walking in be- sort of in between into a restaurant when you're oh, just wanting it? to use the sidewalk. Well, it's, yeah, it's a bit of everything. Like if you think about Nancy O's right now, Luckily, like our downtown doesn't have a lot of pedestrian traffic, but a place like Jasper well, does. Well, sadly, sadly though. <laughs> <laughs> and and if it did, you would imagine servers having to carry food across those pedestrians and just sort of like cutting off pedestrians. This way, the restaurant is right up against huh. the storefront. The other thing is like it's not very nice sitting next to vehicles and F one fifties going by while you're trying to enjoy yep. your nice dinner. So this puts a layer of oh, distance between yeah, you three and feet the road. Extra. Yeah, exactly. Huh? That's interesting. It was great to see. Huh. Okay. All right. So that's one idea that you had. And, uh, uh, what about, um, uh, as when you're take, when you're out and about taking, I know one person said that, well, you know what, there's no, we don't have any place in town, in downtown where you can sit down and have a cup of coffee and look at a beautiful scene. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this gets into maybe some of the bigger issues, but a lot of the things like benches and overhangs and, you know, pleasant spaces to be have been removed over the years because there's a growing houseless population downtown. And I think in making downtown inhospitable for them, they've made it inhospitable <laughs> for, for everyone. everyone. Yep. And so I, I think like step one is obviously we have to support that population, make sure that they have their needs taken care of. Um, and, and I think like then bring the things back to our downtown that, you know, a, a mom with a bunch of kids can stop on a bench and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. One thing, one interesting thing I found, I walked, gosh, I think it was probably about 20 blocks in Toronto in the, uh, uh, gosh, I mean, it, it was outside of the downtown, but every time I was thinking, okay, I'm getting a little bit tired. I'd like to have a sit down. There was a bench yeah, <laughs> and a bench under trees. Totally. Bench shade is everything, you know, yep. in these hot days, like Mm-hmm. Who, who wants to sit on a bench in the glaring sun? Yeah, put some trees down. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, like, let's make our drivers downtown really uncomfortable. <laughs> we want them to go really slow. We want them to not be able to see onto the sidewalk so that they're going 20, 30 kilometers an hour. Well, because that increases safety. Absolutely. And road noise. Uh, yeah. Cars going fast or loud. And so if those drivers are cautious, if they're taking their time, it's enjoyable for pedestrians. Moms aren't grabbing their kids' hands or parents aren't grabbing their parents or their kids' hands. And it, it just feels more like it was made for pedestrians, not for cars. So have you ever, have you done any photo shoots, shoots in our parkades? 
<laughs> no, I have not. Ah, I just heard <laughs> I heard a statistic that apparently uh, 50% of our parkades uh, spots, or we only have 50% usage of, of the parkade spots. I don't, it downtown. doesn't surprise me. I know, like, the one by Crossroads we park in on the evening, or, like, when we go to Crossroads, it's always, you know, pretty empty. That's a tricky one. Parking is important for accessibility needs. I want everyone yep. to feel like they can go enjoy the local businesses, and especially in the winter when it's, like, minus yep. 30 and icy. You know, you want everyone to feel like they're safe downtown. So I think some work would have to be done, like, in clearing out parking lots, making sure parkades have like accessible walkways between them and the restaurants or businesses. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's often like, because we only have 50% you should usage of our, of our parkades. It's, it's uh, we often end up like, we think that there isn't any parking when actually there probably there's tons. That's it's correct. just, it's not as accessible. Okay. So it is time for break. We'll be back after these messages. Two rivers gallery is seeking a curator. Experienced curators are invited to submit a cover letter and CV outlining their experience and interest in this position. Overseeing two key staff positions, the curator offers clear direction and mentorship to the assistant curator and registrar installer. Shortlisted candidates will be invited to a Zoom interview, with a final selection of candidates invited to an in-person interview. Full job description, qualifications, and application details are available through the Join and Support menu at tuversgallery.ca. Lace up your runners and join the Parkinson's Superwalk. For over 30 years, this event has helped to raise funds and inspire hope for over 15,000 people across the province living with Parkinson's disease. Together, we can ensure every person touched by Parkinson's has the support they need to live well. Show your support by joining the Parkinson's Superwalk at 1130 Saturday, September 9th in Claytonay Memorial Park. To register or donate, visit parkinson.ca slash superwalk. God knows everything about you. This week on the Lutheran Hour, Pastor Ken Klaus says that truth can either be a comfort or a curse. But the God who knows everything about you is also the God of grace who forgives on account of Christ. Knowing the God who knows all about you. This week on the Lutheran Hour. Be listening for the Lutheran Hour Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Join the Prince George Lawn Bowling Club for an enjoyable outdoor activity at Watrous Park. All you need is a pair of running shoes. They provide the bowls and instructions. Games take place Tuesday mornings at 10, Wednesday evenings at 7, Thursday afternoons at 1, and Sunday afternoons at 2. Teams are drawn from those who show up. Try it out. Lawn Bowling, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays at Watrous Park, just north of the 5th Avenue KFC. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back uh, talking with Darren Rigo, finish, uh, sort of uh, finishing just our discussion about uh, strong towns and that I- the idea of incremental design, livable neighbor- neighborhoods, livable downtown, walkable downtown, and then thinking, okay, I've been downtown a few times on Saturdays for the farmer's market, and it's just an absolutely terrific experience because it feels like you're in some sort of cosmopolitan part of the world <laughs> suddenly and down like in Prince George. And I mean, it shouldn't, but it does. I mean, yes, it should because I mean, it feels so neighborly. It feels yeah, ple- it's, pleasant. It's, it's that pedestrians are the default. You're yes. encouraged to go out and enjoy the sidewalks. There's lots of people around like, 
everything about it feels like, you know, Amsterdam or the Netherlands does on every day. Yeah. And so I, it is funny that we experience that one day and then we just forget Say, about forget it about for it, the other yeah. six days, yeah. you know? So one interesting thing that I heard from somebody that I was actually quite surprised at, but it's a person who travels. And I mean, I will talk till I have no breath about the importance of traveling for people. Um, if you can afford to travel, if you can not do Starbucks or whatever for any, for a year and put all that money aside, travel because you see other ways of, of uh, doing things. And I mean, so many of the cities, especially um, that I've seen, they have streets that there's no cars. Yeah, and totally. like they close the streets, and they might have them so that the cars can go across them, but yeah. they can't go on them. And and one person uh, who's local suggested to me like, why don't we do that with George Street? Oh, I totally agree. And I said, well, what's what's with George Street? And it's like, well, at the end of that, there's City Hall, and yeah. it has that nice lawn. And it's like, oh, I couldn't agree more. I I think a big thing we were just talking about in the break is you know like that th- we are a car centric city. And so you can't just abolish cars from No, downtown. no, and I'm not in favor of that. I'm not anti-car at all. For sure. I actually am very anti-car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I'm not. But I'm... I'm, I'm Pragmatic. I'm happy to find a middle ground. Mm-hmm. But I do think the sort of lurking thing in the background of all of this is like improving our transit. I heard a quote or some notion um, recently that was like, the measurement of a good city is sort of like who rides the transit. And if it is sort of like not just the sort of lower class people who have no other option but if you live in a city where like the rich Everybody. affluent people yeah. are choosing to ride transit it means you've done it right mm-hmm. um I, I would love to like have a week where all of Marin council can only ride transit for well, that would two be weeks. fun i think you should send us a challenge it would be illuminating because yeah. you you realize like when i was a university student i didn't own a car and like if you miss a bus on a sunday two hours you just lose two hours <laughs> <laughs> and that's true for like a lot of service workers or like you know these people who don't have the option to get a ride. Well, I think what you said there, and and I have to just make sure everybody knows I'm not speaking on behalf of council. I'm speaking in my own opinion, and you know all of that <laughs> stuff. Um, and, and just because I say something here doesn't mean it's coming to a city meeting right. near <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, during during my campaign, I thought. I was. I thought, you know, at one point I wanted to say, you know, I wanted. To, I was thinking about taking transit just to show that I had actually tried to do it, but I didn't really have the time. Yeah, what and a privilege. I was like, but I mean, the time because I know that uh, I know someone who lives in the um, the on uh, the Nicholson area, uh, like close to the Sikh temple there, who goes to UNBC and it's an hour. Yeah, it's an hour on transit. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's the greatest, one of the greatest failures of the city right now is like our transit routes and we have that university up on the hill, we have the college, but there really are just like one direct line for each one that is sort of sensible. But the minute you try to connect to go to the mall from UNBC or something like that, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. And getting downtown is kind of part of that. I mean, mm-hmm. there is not a lot of really easy ways to get from like an obscure neighborhood somewhere out by Nicholson right into our downtown Mm -hmm. it just doesn't exist or live on the heart like good luck and and just back to back to the downtown and and why we're talking about you know ideas like you know maybe closing off george street to vehicles is because it's vehicles are not the thing that goes into a business to buy stuff like vehicles take up parking space they take up a lot of room and they make it so that you're not close there's not 
um, so when you when you when you spit when you have too much parking space everywhere it it creates so much distance and so you don't have that sense of community and that's why you have to be really smart about where you put parking and and then this goes back to that the statistic that only 50 percent of our parking lots or our parkades are being used yeah or that we have 50 percent usage um like maybe we just need to get a whole lot better at promoting that and, and encouraging people to like and and to design some of that a little bit differently so that people are more aware I agree. I think, like, on all fronts, we could be thinking more critically about parking and vehicle infrastructure downtown. I do, like, I'm such a fan of closing down George Street to cars. I think the reason we even think about it as an example is because it is one of the narrower streets downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, There are less vehicles on that route already. So you Mm -hmm. already are kind of thinking about the corner where the maker used to be, but crossroads and Mm -hmm. Birch and Boar, like that area feels really nice to walk in because vehicles do go by really slow there. Mm -hmm. Um, And there aren't that many vehicles going because there's not much down there. So I would Mm -hmm. say, yeah, from the fire hall right up to the intersection with crossroads, just make that a beautiful town square. Like just close that road entirely. Like, yeah. Cause then, then at the other end, there's the courthouse, right? Yeah. You could close it all the way down to ritual. and I think it would be just fine. Yeah. Go down Queen like vehicles can go down Queensway. Dominion for whatever reason is four lanes. Like that's crazy to me. <laughs> if you ever stood on the corner of Dominion, you're like, why is this four lane? I've never seen two lanes of traffic on that street. Isn't isn't that interesting? Hey, and plus and plus with parking, right? I mean, because Dominion is wider than Queensway. Yeah, it's so wide. It's <laughs> and it's not fun to walk on because like F one fifties go flying by at seventy that's kilometers right. an hour. It's terrifying. <laughs> Try to walk from the art gallery to crossroads to grab a beer you feel it you fear for your life like there's vehicles just whizzing by oh my goodness okay well do be careful um (laughs) but i mean it's and and the uh like down like yeah i mean i i love walking downtown in a in an area that is nice and pleasant and and this bring this reminds me about trees and just somebody during during uh somebody mentioned to me that why don't we have more trees downtown and mm. we don't have very much green space. I mean, we've got that one little spot now by the, by the Woodlands building, Yeah, but that's one little spot. Yeah. Um, I mean, millennial park, but I mean, that's, that's not an ideal spot anyway for, for a place. Because well, it's it, right along first. It's not, it's not a place conducive. I mean, that is now right now a, an encampment, but eventually it won't be. So the, like we don't like, and this goes back to your t- uh, talking about we don't have a lot of areas with benches and trees, and uh, and so we have like I mean I think you know in, in part of me I think this is really encouraging because there's so much that we could do yeah yeah and I'm being told we are wrapping up very good all right well thank you for coming in Darren and filling out our hour and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the Friday political panel. After nine is a weekday presentation of CFIS FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs.